So Money episode 1527, breaking free from the guilt and shame of building wealth. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I think that there is a place for everyone in this this fight, in this effort to change the, the wealth gaps. And I think that people need to be aware of what feels good for them and how to show up. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Juneteenth, 2023. Today is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African-Americans. It's also an important day for reflecting on the ongoing work that we still need to do to build true equity. Today, our conversation shifts to financial equity and the role mental health plays in supporting our journey to financial independence. And if you are a person of color in particular, you may have a unique set of generational trauma that continues to make life complex and your dealings with money challenging from guilt to shame. Breaking free can be tough. So we're going to talk through some of these emotional hurdles, discuss some advice with two guests, Yimi Rose, founder of Of Color, which is a Black-owned financial wellness platform available to all, but unapologetically centered around employees of color, and Asia Evans. She's a licensed therapist who helps clients relieve money anxiety to achieve financial wellness. Asia Evans and Yami Rose, welcome to So Money. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yami, you're a friend of the podcast at this point. I think what this is like your third time on. We've collaborated a lot in real life as well. Um, I'm excited and honored to have you both here. It is Juneteenth. And we thought with the backdrop of this moment to reflect on how far we've come as a nation uh, with regards to equity and equal rights and also the work that still needs to happen to uh, close all of the gaps, um, we want to talk about your work, Yami, as well as your work. Asia and together your work and how you're making an impact. But first, Yami, like let's yep. catch up. You're the founder <laughs> of Of Color, which yep. is an incredible, burgeoning, growing platform uh, supporting employees of color. Your big mission is to close the wealth gap. You are a B two B business. You provide consults, programs, services to employers looking to that are sharing this mission with you. Tell us how far uh, you've come and um, what's what what you're excited about this year. Yeah, no. So first of all, Farnoosh, thanks for having me. It's exciting to, to to be here once again, and especially to share the platform with Asia, who is amazing and who we've been working with uh, quite a bit. So yeah, so just background, you, you did a great job on that. So founder of, of Color, you know, uh, employer channel, um, benefits company really focused on improving the financial health of workers of color. And we kind of, we do, we view the workplace as, as the front lines uh, in this battle. But yeah, I think since I was on last, I think we were just about to launch. We officially launched. We've, we've, we've had some real great fortune 
50 partners uh, come along for the journey. Um, we've been offering our services, and we can get into that a little bit more, but we've been offering our services as an employee benefit, and so it's free to employees to use. And gosh, we've been providing them with you know great tech tools, fintech-focused, great content, written videos, uh, you know, written content as well as videos, financial coaching, and financial therapy. So um, really, really excited to, to talk some of these issues through today. Yeah. And really what this journey involves is access, to your point, to tools. And I know last time we were on, we talked about the importance of credit health and just that being one component, for example, to closing wealth gaps. Uh, But what we really want to talk today is the other very important component to all of this, which is mental health and wellness. And, And that brings us to Asia's important work in this field as a financial therapist. The two of you have paired up. Uh, Asia, tell us a little about this relationship and and what you hope to sort of bring to this effort, uh, not just with of color, but you know this this mass important effort to close the wealth gap by addressing our well being. We talk often on the show about health being wealth, and I have a book coming out about fear. I mean, this is very uh, central and and dear to my mission as well. Tell us what about your work and how your collaboration is going so far. Yeah, so I am coming from a traditional mental health space, and I had been in the industry for about 13 years or so, and about 10 years, which is wild to me thinking about that. Uh, when I first moved to New York City, I was living my best life and spending all my money and having a great time, but I was broke and <laughs> could not understand why. And showing up as a therapist in the space with my clients as I was going through my own financial journey and financial education, I realized that a lot of the people I was seeing felt bad about their money. And a lot of the people I see are typically people of color. They're typically women. So as I was educating myself and my clients would bring up money, I was like, oh, tell me more. Like, let's talk about that and let's get into it. And that's when I discovered financial therapy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing. This is great. We need to talk more about this. I need to get certified and go through the steps to have more training and feel comfortable telling people that I'm a financial therapist. And after I started doing that, that's when I started getting connected to amazing people. And Of Color was a company that was pretty much standing at the front lines in a larger space than I could by myself to start delivering these types of services to say, hey, we want to work on closing the racial wealth gap. And what does that look like? And how do we not only provide financial education, but then how do we partner that with coaching, with financial therapy to get educational level taken care of, but then also start talking about your relationship to money, your mindset. What does that look like when you start potentially shifting um, your family's, you know, history with money and how great, but then also uncomfortable that can be for a lot of people. So it was just a really beautiful connection and relationship that we've built. I was already talking to a lot of people who worked in tech and at other large companies. So it was uh, pretty seamless. And how long have you been at this at this since that fateful conversation with your friends where you're like, wait a minute, uh, I can be a financial therapist. How long have you been in this? field, working and discovering? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I've been a therapist for at this point, 13 years. I was unofficially (laughs) doing financial therapy, I think for like seven and then now officially doing it and like putting myself out there more publicly Mm -hmm. for I think we're at three years And what are the patterns that you see surfacing a lot as you work with clients, people of color, when they're talking about their relationship with money? What seems to be coming up a lot for them that is unique perhaps or special to their their history and their life's journey? Yeah. So I think for a lot of my clients, it's first like feeling like they don't know what they're doing with their money. Um, they are making money and that, that feels good, but they also want to grow their money and don't really know, am I taking the right steps? What does this mean? What does that look like? I, how, um, so that comes up. And then second, I would say is once they're ready to start, you know, investing or doing more active things with their money, it's where do they go and who do they have these conversations with? And I would say the last thing I see a lot is just figuring out what it means to meet the family tradition and the family expectations Mm -hmm. of how do you help and how do you support your family, as well as making sure that they, you know, are saving enough for themselves and are growing their wealth for their future generations and wanting to build generational wealth. So those combination of the three come up and there's a lot of emotional discomfort that happens for people when they realize that their finances look very, very different than their families. I work with a lot of people who are probably around 25 to 40. And when they start looking at their numbers, they're like, I'm making double, triple upwards um, amount of money that my parents did. And this feels weird. And it feels like you are shifting away from a community that is so important. Why does it feel weird for them? I hear this quite a bit. And I guess part of it is because, well, there there's a shame there. There's an embarrassment. Um, but what's what do you think is really at the root of that? Because I think that's worth kind of unpacking. <laughs> I, I definitely think it is shame and guilt, a lot of guilt, um, even though people know that their parents, whether that whether they're first generation American and their parents came here and did so much work and effort and sacrifice to get their children to be as successful as they are, there's still the guilt that comes with the success of what your parents actually wanted. Mm. But it's also that your life may look different. Like where you live may look different. Where you are sending your kids to may may look different. How you vacation, how you spend your money may look different. And that is uncomfortable for people to, to navigate the large gap. And, you know, even though you may know that there's a financial gap, sometimes it's hard to for people to see it. Yami, do you feel this personally? I feel like maybe, you know, as the son of immigrants and coming here and being successful, a part of me is like, Asia, that it's kind of the point. Like we we talk about generational wealth and then we we achieve that. And then yet we're still saddled with this feeling of, oh, I, I don't know how to actually embrace this with pride. Yeah, so- uh, a couple of ways to, to answer that question. I, I, I do feel it personally, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec, but um, I also look across the folks that we are serving, and I see that a lot of this is very personal to them. I think there is a, 
a real kind of PTSD that comes from trying to generate wealth as a person of color in America. You know, we, we often may not talk about money and when we do, it's negative. So we, you know, it's funny because this taps into a conversation we're having, having right now about user IDs and codes and how people get onto the platform. And we made the decision just to allow everyone and their family to come on. We don't care about sharing of passwords or anything like that because a lot of times it's these financial decisions are made in isolation. The things that are affecting one person may be systemic to their family right they've been you know we so we really wanted to help folks get to the root cause of their behaviors in order to change them and to show people that there's a lot more play when it comes to how we interact with money um you know on the more personal side i've not really talked about this that much and uh, or ever really in the press mainly because i get weird sometimes but it's it's really illustrative in this convo right so most people that know me well know that i lost my sister to suicide uh, some years back and you know the main reason was obviously a lifelong struggle with depression but in her last year she'd accumulated a lot of uh i guess alternative debt that was ultimately a precipitating factor in her taking her life. And, you know, I've always said that she should never really have been able to get to that point in the first place, but here we are. But, but over the years, I've really tried to understand um, what drives that kind of spending that we saw with her. And, you know, through following all the work that's been done in financial therapy, I have a better understanding of where these behaviors come from and how to curb them, how sometimes people just want to feel seen. They want to feel like they're a part of this community. And I know Farnoosh, I mean, first of all, shout out to Amanda Kleeman as well. Uh, by the way, one of the first financial, <laughs> yeah, we, we both worked with her at a couple points. Um, but she was one of the first financial therapists that I've ever really worked with back in the days of Prudential and really kind of got a great understanding of, okay, this is, this is something real. And, you know, the, I always say that although folks of color are kind of bonded by this universal neglect from financial services systems, we're, we're, we're obviously not a monolith. There are going to be things that are unique to individual families that really kind of throw people for a loop and, we really wanted an opportunity to just kind of have folks get together and, and share. Well, thank you for sharing that, Amy. I didn't know that. And um, I, I I feel honored that you would share that in this forum with us. And, no, it's, that's yeah. part of my story. So. In some ways, do you find in your work with clients, and this is a question for the both of you, when the conversation shifts to, hey, money is just this tool and good news, maybe, like, maybe I would position this way, good news. It's not the money that's the root of the problem sometimes. It's how we choose to behave with it. So it almost feels like we are more in a position of power than we think sometimes because I think too much, too often we give money too much power over us. Like if I get too wealthy or if I don't have money or if I make a paycheck, like I'm not going to know what to do with it because money is not something that um, likes me not maybe we're not thinking about like oh actually i can have the choice and the power here to decide for myself what i'm going to do with this money and so is there a way to reframe this so that people can actually be- know and and really feel that they have more power than than they think because of maybe the narrative they grew up with as i remember there was a guest on this show um christina blacken and she is uh, the founder of The New Quo, which is a, a firm that helps clients rewrite their their 
toxic narratives, a lot of times she works with clients around the money piece. And she she said, I'll never forget, money is just a tool. It's like a hammer. You can use it to build a bird nest or you can use it to destroy someone. And I love that. I love to repeat that because it reminds us how inconsequential money is until we interact with it, which can be quite empowering if you think about it. Do you, would you agree? I would, I would definitely agree. And I think there's so much, like you were saying, that goes into our relationship with money and the complexities. And I remember actually listening to that episode with Christina and reached out to her because so much of what she was saying about our narratives connects to how I do the work that I'm doing. So when you're looking at what your money story is, what your money narrative is coming, like where it's coming from, a lot of it is coming from your family. A lot of it is coming from external means. But what we don't really give enough time for is the internal that happens and what happens when people feel like money is a way that they're coping with something. So you might be spending because you feel bad. And I'll use myself as an example. When I was in New York making it rain, I felt better shopping. <laughs> like yeah. I felt better when I showed up in my cute new dress and my outfit or with my nails done. Like I felt better. And what actually made me feel worse is that I felt like I couldn't keep up in the negative stories I started telling myself when I couldn't keep up. So although yes, money is definitely a tool and a lot of our money narratives and messages and beliefs come from external there's a point in our life where it starts to shift to internal too. And that's when we have to start looking at what are our coping habits and how often do they rely on spending money or some kind of financial to bolster what's going on with our mental health. And I think that's the kind of sweet spot where it is, yes, it's a tool, but now you're using it in a way that might be putting you in a worse off financial situation, mm -hmm. but it's also not helping your mental health, right? We all want that quick dopamine rush, but it's actually the anticipation that is the strongest part of the dopamine. It's not once we actually get the item or the thing that you were anticipating. So mm -hmm. I'm curious because we touched on this a little bit earlier. I want to go deeper with the systemic problems that contribute to the wealth gap. And sometimes at work, you do recognize these systems at play. Pay inequality, that's one example but it could also be microaggressions at work that are contributing to your burnout, to your stress, to your feeling of um, imposter syndrome, all of that, which I do think, you know, plays a role in ultimately like your wellness and then your relationship with money. And, and it's all very, um, it goes all hand in hand. And so if you are somebody at work who recognizes these issues going on, and you're doing the work on your on your own too, like you're going through what you want to go, you need to go through to get better and, and healthier with your relationship with money, and yet there's still all these external factors. What what is your advice in those moments? Do you, in terms of speaking up, speaking to power, when it could come at a cost, it could come at a risk. Um, we talk a little bit about this on the show from time to time. It's delicate, and I but it's important. I think we need to raise the consciousness at work as well, of, in case there are things going on that that are not personally solvable. Right? We have to put the accountability where it is. Yeah. So I would say first, like ask yourself if you have capacity. I think there's a lot of times where people feel like they need to be the one to step up and start having these conversations. And please do that if you are ready and you have capacity. But if you don't, please don't go into that type of conversation if you are not 
in the mental, spiritual, emotional, physical, like position to start having those conversations and, and pushing for that. And I, I think that there is a place for everyone in this, this fight in this effort to change the the wealth gaps. And I think that people need to be aware of what feels good for them and how to show up. Yeah. So if, if, if actually, Fernish, I can just kind of layer onto Please. that a bit. So, you know, we wanted to, when we, when we launched with companies, we want to both focus on the personal side of it, right? You know, the, the behaviors uh, that can hold us back or proper behaviors that can lead to more wealth creation. But we also want to acknowledge, as you mentioned, this kind of the systemic barriers that are present. Um, I know you mentioned even just pay inequality. Um, we try to let folks understand that even if you are paying two employees the same and one employee is of color and the other is not, there's likely to be a really big difference in what the employee of color will take home. Um, you know, it, it, there, there's so many pulls on, on the capital that we have, um, you know, pay more in every type of credit. Um, you know, we, we, we've talked through some of these uh, before, but it really is it. Yes, they're, they're behavioral attributes as well, but it's really a systemic problem. Right. And, and, and actually, we're doing some really good work right now with, um, you know, I'm a member of the Collaborative for Equitable Retirement Savings um, with the Aspen Institute Financial Security Program. I think the SIA is a part of that as well as Morningstar. And the work that's being done is really reaching out to record keepers, getting all of these uh, data points. And I think right now we're close to 500,000 individual data points where we're looking at controlling for income, what retirement mm-hmm. looks like. And, uh, you know, the data is to come and I want to get ahead of it. But I think a lot of folks will be surprised because they think like, okay, pay equity is the thing. It's really, really a lot more than that. I mean, we, you know, if you, if you look specifically even at how, the racial wealth gap impacts us in real time. Um, it's through a lack of resilience to a financial shock, right? And these shocks tend to be coming more often <laughs> these days, right? It, it feels like, you know, blacks, black swan should be redefined. Um, but when these shocks hit, how can we cope, right? It's, it's sometimes it has the ability to ruin us. So we want to prepare people with the right mentality, of course, we also want to help them to navigate the system that wasn't built for us. Um, we also want to educate. Um, that's really important. And we also just want to, again, folks are at different places in their journey, just provide them with the tools that they can you know, passively use to, to get ahead. But it's all, all of this is part of a larger, larger problem that requires a holistic mm-hmm. solution to solve. But still ask for more. <laughs> please, ask please, please ask for more. Please ask get more. the money. Um, I, I, I'm just wondering, Asia, how do you prepare clients for the ask in in a work environment that may not have traditionally been open or still not open to like that conversation? I hear this still like such a big um, stressor, you know, going in and, and asking for more more pay, especially right now with the economy so. Uh, tumultuous and it's it's uneven like companies some companies are doing great others are not so I I mean I have this conversation with my clients all the time <laughs> and at this point the people who have been with me for a while know it's coming um, when they're having those conversations whether it's changing jobs or looking for other employment type of thing they're like I know you're gonna make me talk about money and I like I have my clients tell me the number like 
Tell me what your actual number is that you want and say it out loud. And sometimes they're not ready to do that. I'm like, listen, if you can't tell me who I know very intimate details about your life, if you can't say that number to me confidently right now, then we are not going to get there when the pressure is on and you're in the middle of these negotiations. So we got to get comfortable. And I don't care how many times you have to say it out loud to me until we get there. But I'll also ask them what their their walk away number is and ask them to walk me through what, like, why are the two numbers different? What do we need to do to make sure that you feel as confident as possible to say that, you know, higher number? Sometimes I'm like, I think it, I think it needs to be higher. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, a guest on the show, Alexandra Carter, she's written a book called Ask For More. And she's a, a, like one of a negotiations ninja. And she says, uh, if you are not afraid when you are asking for more, you are not doing it right. You should be afraid, you know, <laughs> like it should scare you. Yeah. Trust that that is the right emotion, right? That if you were like, completely, um, if you were completely confident going in with a number, like that you were going to get it, well, you should push the envelope a little bit more. Yeah. And, and that speaks to quite a, you know, that imposter yeah. syndrome, right? I mean, think about imposter syndrome, you know, for a person of color, right? The, the, you're very often looked at, especially if you have a really good job as, oh, you should, you should be really happy to be here. Right. Right. And that's worse almost when it comes to uh, immigrants. I mean, if you think about the actual immigrant experience where you go through, depending on where you start, you may get an F1 visa, then you may get an H1B working visa. A, 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 you, you are essentially in trial mode for a number of years before you actually become a citizen. And so it's almost like, just keep your head down you know, don't stir the pot. You, 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 you should really be happy that you even have this chance. And that those years of conditioning very often spill over into even when you do become a citizen, you are you're like, ooh, don't rock the boat. Don't you know, just kind of keep your head down. And um, you know, for folks who aren't burdened with that, I mean, they may also have an imposter syndrome. But it's it's a little bit easier to ask for what you not what you want really, but what mm-hmm. you deserve. Your value uh, because you feel more secure in deserving mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you don't have to tell me about the threshold for pain. I'm I'm the daughter of an Iranian of Iranian immigrants, and and my dad is seventy and still working. And and I and he tells me these crazy stories of managers like literally phys- getting physical with their employees, like in board meetings. And you know he's fr- he came from like a totalitarian country, so that to him was just like a, a walk in the park sometimes those days. But but you're right about the trauma, and and even when he you know became fully a citizen. Um, I think he has more tolerance for for just the injustice sometimes that happens at work just because there is probably an unresolved fear there of like if I rock the boat, they could fire me or and, you know, I should just be exactly. happy to be here. Yeah, I know. And it's been passed down, let me tell you, that that trauma a little bit, you know. I have a, I have a consciousness at least about it, but – it's hard. It's hard to unravel. And so, you know, as we close, you know, what are your, your parting thoughts? And and I think what I'm hearing too is like, you got to be patient with yourself. Like this is obviously not 
um, a six week uh, program. You know, this is a how to untether yourself from generational trauma so that you can have financial health and wellness and go get the money. Uh, I think this is an ongoing journey. And so for those of us who are in it and feeling sometimes like we get dead ended or we are frustrated or, or or we feel as though we aren't supported what is your recommendation for for us and and maybe asia you can start with that well i mean i think there's a few so if you recognize that like you need the extra support i'm always going to say to get it and it doesn't have to come in the form of a therapist it it should if you need one and you feel like, hey, I'm I'm running up against this consistently and I'm feeling really uncomfortable and this is kind of just like ruining my time. <laughs> um, definitely seek out a therapist, whether that means traditional mental health or financial therapist to talk about it. Um, I was burning my husband out constantly talking about money and all of the things and that fueled this beautiful place in my career currently. So get the support if you need it. But I would also say it's really just important to have these conversations with other people. So many people feel like they are alone. They are by themselves. They are not. Um, And start, you know, with who you can trust and who you feel comfortable opening up about what the numbers actually are and what they look like or how difficult it is to just make it work here sometimes. I, I don't think we talk about that enough. And then lastly, I would just say is, um, the education piece is really, really important. So when you're talking about companies like of color or books that are people are writing, I mean, I'm writing one myself. So hopefully one day I'll be able to say like, come get my book. <laughs> but just having the conversation and getting the supports and then getting the education too. And like you said, be patient with yourself, have grace because you are digging through a lot of stuff that your family may have not touched and you get to be the lucky one who decides to go digging through that. And that's really difficult and hard. So be kind to yourself. Thank you. I love that. I love that. Uh, um, Asia have grace. <clears throat> so very often we forget to cut ourselves a little bit of slack and it's, it's so important. Um, so I would echo uh, everything that Asia has said. I mean, look, help is out there. <clears throat> you know, if you are gainfully employed, very often your employer may have benefits. It doesn't have to be a financial therapist. It may be just regular therapy benefits. Um, there are tools and services out there that you should utilize. And again, because very often we're like, keep our heads down. We don't take advantage of some of these programs, um, at least as much as we should. And they can really, really be help helpful. Um, you know, I think sharing is liberating, right? So surround yourself with with folks who you admire and really just just share. And very often what you'll find is that a lot of folks are in the same situation that you're in. And you may be able to tackle an issue or a problem together. And that's way more powerful and you get way further that way. So, you know, I, I don't know, Farnish, if, if we've ever talked about this, but one of the things that was so amazing to me in just moving here from uh, my home country, Jamaica, was libraries, right? Libraries are everywhere and they're amazing. They're really, really good libraries. And just the fact that you can just 
you know, uh, for very often for no money at all, just go and acquire this ton of knowledge that someone else took a lifetime to accumulate is, is huge. So, you know, avail yourself to all the resources. Uh, there are great books out there. There are great people you can follow like Asia, right. Um, and you can get, you can get it in long form or you can get short little, little bits, but you know, just stay motivated and, and, mm-hmm. and stay hungry. Wonderful. I'm going to put our links uh, so folks can find you uh, in our show notes. Um, Asia Evans Counseling, A-J-A Evans Counseling.com and ofcolor.com. If you work for an employer and you want of color to join your business, your company, get in touch at ofcolor.com. Both of you, thank you so much. Appreciate you instigating this conversation. I love when my guests suggest topics makes my life so much easier <laughs> and, and, and the and the best topics i'm very grateful for both of you thank you thanks for having us thank you so much furnish thanks to asia evans and Jamie rose for joining us to learn more about them check out the links in our show notes if you are struggling or having thoughts about suicide, please reach out to confidential sources that can help you. The crisis text the crisis text line and the suicide prevention lifeline are free and highly recommended. You can text HOME to 741-741 for free, 24-7 crisis support in the US, or you can call 1-800-273-8255 to reach the suicide prevention lifeline to reach the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I'll put all that in our show notes as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. And I hope your day is so money.